there's always a Jewish perspective on everything that we do and everything that life presents us, every creation of God, there is a Jewish perspective. There's a Jewish way to do it or not to do it as a Jew. So it's true that texting is a rather contemporary form of communication um, rather than, you know, other more modes of communication have been around for a long time. But the heart of the question, the heart of the issue of reading a partner's text, that was just, we'll, we'll call that the debate to get people's attention. But the essence of the question is, in general, in general, um, reading information that maybe is, is not necessarily uh, yours, is not your information to read, and what would the Torah say about this? So one of the main uh, premises of this conversation is a, um, in Hebrew it's called a takana, and loosely translated that would be a decree. But I don't like to use the word decree because it's not, when you think of decree, you think of like a king that's enforcing decrees on their population. And this was not so much of a decree, but a, a, a you can call it a law that was instituted by a rabbi. His name was Rabbeinu Gershom. Anyone by raise of hand here and ever heard of Rabbeinu Gershom? Okay, one, two, okay. Rabbeinu Gershom instituted uh, a bunch of, 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 uh, of takanot, of, of laws, and the laws um, were meant at the time, he lived in between the years of, of uh, 960 and, and 1040 CE, if, if that's important to anybody. But anyhow, um, so he basically was at a period of time where he decided that he wanted to institute certain institutional laws that the Jewish people will observe to help them address their ways of life and to make things be more um, moral and proper. One of the most popular laws that he instituted was the prohibition of polygamy. Up until that point, the Jewish people could, if they want, a man could be married to more than one wife. And from and he came along and instituted this decree that from now on, we cannot be married to more than one wife. It was not a, 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 a prohibition in the Torah, but he came along and instituted this, this law. Um, and he instituted a few different laws. Not all of his laws were accepted by all communities, by all rabbis across the board. But the following one that we're going to read was one that was accepted by all communities across the board. 1A, do not look at a letter that one friend has sent to another without his knowledge. If it was discarded, it is permitted. Okay? And on what basis did he come up with this with this law? Where did he get this? Like, what, what, on what basis did he come up with it? So there are a few motivations for this. Number one is, in order not to come to the, 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 the sin of Lashon Hara, right? 
in order not to come to the sin of gossiping. And when you're reading someone else's private information, that's like a prime source of, of, of gossip right there. Number two, he also felt there's another sin in the Torah called, and we had a separate class about this, called genevat da'at in Hebrew, which means stealing someone else's knowledge. In a way, stealing someone else's knowledge could be considered even worse than stealing someone's money. Because if someone steals my money, I'm talking about if you know that someone stole your money or someone stole an object, you know that. If someone deceived me, if someone stole information of mine and I don't even know that they stole that, that could be even worse, hypothetically. So that was another reason. And a third reason why he instituted this insti in this, this law was, what did, uh, what did Hillel answer when that guy came to him, I think it was on a Friday afternoon, and he said, tell me the entire Torah on one foot. What did, what did the great sage Hillel respond? Love your fellow like yourself. He, he said, basically, everyone always, he said, what is, what is hateful unto you, do not do unto others. It, what you said is, is the typical, everyone always confuses the two, love your fellow as yourself, but it's a similar idea. But he said it in a way, what is hateful unto you, don't do unto others. Right? So you would not, most people, most people would not want people to read their private information, communications, and exchanges with other people. You shouldn't read others. What's with the postcard? What do you guys think the law would be about a postcard? First of all, what is a postcard? Everyone know what a postcard is? We're in 2023. Let's just refresh our memory. A postcard is once upon a time, people used to send uh, letters to each other. And there was also a form of a letter that people would take a picture. They sell them still in stores. It's like antique items. Um, a postcard is a, 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 it's like a four by six or five by seven. And it's an image on one side. On the other side, people write messages to someone. I actually once got a postcard from a student that was abroad. It's going back like eight years ago, nine years ago. Anyhow, so what do you think the law would be from a Jewish perspective about a postcard. Can you read a postcard or can you not read a postcard by raise of hand? Read him for voice. You, yeah, what do you think? What do you think the what do you think the answer would be? I'm sorry? Someone else's postcard, meaning someone someone sends you a postcard. Someone someone else someone else sends someone else a postcard. Let's say you're sitting and uh, and, and a postcard comes or whatever it is and you see that postcard, should you be allowed to read someone else's postcard or not? By raise of hand. Yes, you say yes. Why do you say yes? Uh, because, like, if you wanted something to be hidden, then put it in an envelope. But the fact that it's out in the open... Okay. It's like, it's like if you had... If you had... A, if your messages on your phone would just... You'd have a device that would pop up into the world and just show everyone, like... What do you say? You're not allowed to read it. It's like no. Like if your person intended it for it to be open. So if okay. Oh, yeah. Adam. Oh God. I would say no still, because like you're still going through someone's mail if it's open. The same way, like if someone's phone is axed out of the box, you now just go through their whole phone and like, you know, take all their data. So you're equivalent. You're 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 making a uh, equivalence between a postcard and someone's phone unlocked. Yeah. 
But what about people who leave their phone unlocked all the time? Does that mean that they essentially are proving for anyone to just scroll through their phone because they leave it unlocked? Well, if it's like unlocked, is that like someone leaving their door unlocked, their front door, if I could walk in and just look through their... Sounds like a trotter. Can't lock that doors. Um, next, Jake, you raise your hand. But didn't we just read you, Kayla Deep? I'm sorry? Didn't we just read you? Don't, you can't look in a letter. Right. So the question is, is a postcard considered like a letter that's closed up? Or be, like, like Arya makes the point that because it's public, right, clearly you took the chance that someone will read it. So the, anyone else? Of course not. Okay. That's your, that's your position. So... No, you know that when you send a postcard, it's going to go through at least 10 people to get to the person. Right. So like, and you're writing it, right. So, so, so there are, the, not to get into the specifics right now. Like, um, a privacy screen on your phone, like someone peers over to look. So like, clearly there's a privacy screen, so you wouldn't do that. So they do that, that's wrong. Okay. So, so there are different, when we're not going into the, the, the details, the, the different rabbinic positions on this, but I'll just tell you briefly as they say metaphorically outside, that there are differences of opinions. There are rabbinic authorities that say that because it, like Arya says, because it's it's public, clearly what they're writing, they're taking a chance that it's going to be left up and open and people will see it. And so therefore, there is no issue and you can read it. Others maintain that while it's true, that the person realizes that it's going to go through, like you say, 10 different people and machines before it gets to the intended receiver. But I don't care if a random person in USPS post office reads my postcard. But if, if the person I'm sending it to's roommate or girlfriend or classmate reads it, that's closer to home, that I do have an issue with. So the public, quote-unquote, I don't have an issue with, but people that are more in the closer circle, I do have an issue with. But again... If you have an issue, then then maybe the owner should be on you to keep it private. So I'm just sharing. Yes. Um, I think in terms of prolific permissibility, I would probably agree that it's prolifically <laughs> okay to look at it. But if we look at the intention behind peering at someone's postcard, I don't think it's necessarily from a positive place. So I don't think I would personally do it. Uh, and like I don't, I don't really know why something would be awfully permissible if it kind of has roots in lush on our own with the boot. Okay, thank you. Yes. What about financially? Certainly, somebody can't. Let's say can't afford to send a letter, so they send the postcard. Bart, please close down, Skelton. <laughs> no, not that FBI. I don't know for sure they won't. Why? Them just getting like a stamp for 25 cents or something and they like his feet. I think it depends. I think it depends on the postcard. Overpriced. So, good. Anyhow, but the point, the point is still an interesting point. Um, we can get into the specifics more. Yeah, something else quick, just because I, I want to get, yeah. Like, kind of like how to remove this was for, but like, I guess like when we're really getting more into is the discussion that he's had. So, like, with what intention are you looking at that person's postcard for? Like, if I get a postcard from my, from my grandma and sitting on my kitchen table, I would not be surprised if my mom read it, for example. She'd be like, oh, what did your grandma say to you? You know what I mean? So, if you're really getting into, like, the nuances of, like, right. what intention is this person doing this? And I think that, like, the person doing that and that moment 
should be able to like distinguish for themselves like is what i'm about to do like you know with like inappropriate intent or like is it something that would be okay right yeah by the way talking about intent sometimes people can send something and they, they have an intent actually that not the receiver but someone else should read it you know like you could you could send the message wanting that's another thing accidental text is a whole different culture which we won't get into right now quote-unquote accidental text yes but anyhow yeah yeah because you want to send that message you want to send that point so anyhow there's, there's a lot of different these are listen at the end of the day guys at the end of the day like so many of these discussions that we cover at these classes of Torah and Shao when we get into at least a lot of discussions about different things there's there's in many, in many cases, there's different opinions. And in many, many cases, it has to do with the intent. Remember, we spoke about, about stealing, about Geneva Dat, about deception. We spoke about, like, inviting someone to a wedding when you know that they can't make it anyway. What's your intention? Is your intention to include them, to make them feel included as a friend? Or is your intention to try to make them think that they're included, but really you do not want them at your wedding? And the only reason why you're inviting them is because you know that they can't make it anyway. So... A lot of these things have to do with intent and it's between you and God and only you know what your intent was. I want to continue. So first of all, well, not first of all, but let's let's continue with the following uh, quote from the Talmud from Baba Metziah on one beat. With regard to anyone who deposits an item with another, it is with the awareness that at times the Bailey's wife and his children will safeguard the item that he deposits it. Therefore, it was. It is within my. I, I was within my rights to give the deposit to my mother. So basically, what we're talking about here is that when you're, and this is this is the argument that would be made for a person to allow one's partner to to read their text, and that is this piece of the Talmud that says that you knew when you made that deposit of that item in this story with the Talmud, that uh, there's a very high chance that the person's wife and children will be safeguarding this item as well. And therefore, it was within the rights of that person that was asked to safeguard that item that they could show it to their mother or whoever, other in, whoever else in their family. Um, I think that some of this question has to do with... Um, how we look at, first of all, I think there may be a difference or maybe not between a partner, like if someone's dating versus a life partner, uh, uh, a spouse, there may be a difference in that regard. I remember when we first got married and, um, sometimes if somebody would call me, like if it was a family member and I was... Sometimes I would just put it on speaker if I was driving with my wife. And I, I thought about that sometimes, you know, should I be giving a heads up to the person that I'm speaking to that, by the way, you're on speaker. But on the other hand, it's my wife. I have nothing to hide between me and my wife, right? But maybe there's a difference between how someone expresses themselves to me versus if they know that it's me and my wife together. So sometimes it's not an issue of hiding from someone, but it's more about the setting and the environment 
um, which we'll talk about a little bit later when we talk about recording conversations, which is a factor as well from a Allah's perspective about recording conversations. But um, so my, again, my point here in bringing this piece of the Gemara is not to tell you a final law that it's okay for someone, for you to share your text messages with a spouse or with a partner, but to tell you that there is a premise upon which you can rely on that if you do feel comfortable, that there's something that you feel you do want to or feel you need to share with your partner, a text correspondence that you had with someone else, there may be something that you can rely on from a halachic perspective that would make that permissible. Um, so here's another uh, um, um, uh, thing that the, the Rajpa, who is a, a commentator that discusses this issue, says that if this is something that no one should ever um, experience, but if, God forbid, you have reason to believe that your partner is uh, involved with someone else, then you have a right, according to Allah, to read their text messages. If you have a reason to feel, if you feel, if you have a reason to believe that, uh, that, that's, that that's something that's going on, or, or alternatively, if you have reason to believe that they are doing something that's wrong, you have reason to believe that they're engaging in something that's wrong. Now, I want to go back to if you have, you know, um, reasons to believe that they are involved with someone else. Obviously, if you're dating someone, right, I don't think there's a basis for you to be looking at their texts if you're dating someone because... If you're dating someone, sometimes, you know, people doesn't always work out. But I think if you're married to someone and you have a concern that they are involved with someone else, then that is a, that's a sin. That's, 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 they're, they're doing, they're engaging in something. So just like if you had a concern that someone, and the same thing applies, same thing applies when we talk about Lashon Harel, we talk about gossiping about someone, Right. So gossip is never allowed. But if you have a reason to believe that someone is doing something harmful, you, not just you're allowed to, but you have an obligation not to start talking about it uh, and see four over lunch with people, but you have an obligation to talk to appropriate people, whatever it is, whoever it is, whether it's a, an RA or an RD or whether it's a professor or whether it's a... a, a I don't know, the police, whoever it is, if you have reason to believe, that's not called Lashon Ara, that's called being responsible and stopping something else from happening. Okay, so I'm just aware. Again, I want to be clear. Well, we're not talking about a, a, a partner just, you know, a partner, I, I, I can't see any Allahic reason that if you have a feeling that maybe they're uh, involved with someone else while you're dating them, you could just look at their text. Maybe if you want to, if you feel like you want to confront them, you want to talk to them, that's, we're not, we're not, we're not talking. Uh, we're not talking dating. Uh, dating tips tonight. Um, but if you are married to someone, and you have concrete reason to believe, you obviously don't have evidence, but you have reason to believe. Then yes, it's it's okay according to the Rajko. Yes. Don't you don't you date somebody with the intention, or like you have, you're doing like a serious relationship, 
Isn't that like relationship with the intention of like getting married to somebody? So don't you want to like know what you're getting into when you go into a marriage? So like if we feel like you can't trust that person, like how are you supposed to make that decision when they're not supposed to commit? I, I'm not disagreeing with you, but but I'm not. We have to separate the th the, the theology of smart dating and not smart dating from the law. So all I'm saying is that the reality is <clears throat> that when there's a, there's a difference, according to Allah, there's a difference between when you're engaged to someone. The truth is today engagement is, today no one gets engaged like they used to. In the olden days when they were engaged, it was an actual legitimate engagement. Meaning to say, no, I'm serious. According to, Jew this is a separate side point, but according to Jewish law, years ago, people would get engaged, they would sign a document that they were committing to each other. They weren't married yet, but they could not get married to anyone else. And then if it broke up, if it broke up the engagement, it was a whole complication because they weren't actually married, so they didn't write a get, right? They didn't have a get, but they had, they had a different type of document to nullify that. So today, engagement is not an actual um, document that, 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 you know, that makes them, uh, uh, makes them prohibited from marrying anyone else. But the bottom line is, according to Jewish law, there's a difference between if you're dating someone, doesn't matter how long you're dating them, to if you're married. If you're married, you have a certain set of obligations and rules and responsibilities towards your partner. And if you're dating, yes, you want to be a responsible, loving, caring, trustworthy partner, but it's different. So I, I don't know that I could tell you tonight when you're leaving here that you could look at your date's text messages if you have a feeling that they're cheating on you. Okay. A few more points that we want to cover before we uh, finish off, and then if we have time, we can discuss it. More questions. Um, the same would be, the same would be, if someone is in a school, if there's a teacher, if you're if you're a counselor in camp, and you have reason to believe that there's something going on with the, your campers or whatever it is. Again, if you have a legitimate basis that of of, a, of people that are under your responsibility. According to Allah, you would have the you would be you would be able to be permissible for you to to take their phone and to look through their text messages because you're doing it not as we would say in Hebrew not stam you're not doing it just because you want to just see what's going on and who's uh, who, what what the latest gossip is in, in in the high school but you're doing it because you have a serious concern and you're in a position of responsibility you're you're a you're a teacher, you're a principal, whatever it is, and you have a responsibility, and the only way for you to get to the bottom of this is by doing that. Again, I'm not commenting on U.S. law right now. I'm not talking about uh, the legalities of this or not. I'm talking from a Jewish law perspective. Um, and uh, well, on that note about U.S. law and not U.S. law, um, according to Rabbeinu Gershom, if something is personal and confidential then you don't have a right to read that unless one of the examples that we mentioned. From a U.S. legal, from a legal perspective, my understanding, I'm not, I'm not a law graduate, you know, or whatever major, my understanding is that once something is, is public information out there, there's no legal, there cannot be any legal case made against you if you read it, because it's out there in the public. But that's not the way that Judaism would look at it necessarily. Okay, 2A, let's read the following uh, piece. It's a piece from Chumash and also from, from the Talmud. I'll, I'll, first I'll say it in Hebrew for those of us who speak Hebrew and then we'll say, we hear this, this verse, 
hundreds of times in the Torah. Vayidaber Hashem al Moshe Leimor. And Hashem spoke to Moshe, saying, Why the word Leimor? Why does it need to say Leimor, saying, Vayidaber Hashem al Moshe? God spoke to Moshe. Obviously, he's saying, if he calls him into the, to the, to the Mishkan, if God calls Moses into the tabernacle and he has something to say to him, obviously he's saying. So, so the Talmud answers that question and says, and he called to Moses and the Lord spoke to him from the tent of meeting to say, lay more. So what does the Gemara say, guys? Take a look in 2a. The word lay more means to say over to others. Meaning to say that when God says, and that God spoke to Moses saying, and he says the word Lamor to say, he means that this communication should be said to others. From this extra word, the Talmud understands that if God would not have authorized Moses to share the communic that followed, he would have been forbidden to do so. And the point here is, to what extent, to what extent, okay, to what extent the sensitivity that Moses had and that we need to have, if you want to take this right, like, like Ezra made the point before, there's what's the law, and then there's like the sensitivity that you should take, whether you could or you cannot, right? So here we see an example of a sensitivity that had, had God not told Moses lay more to say, then not necessarily would he be comfortable sharing them. Okay, that's just something to think about. Um, the next quote is another quote from, from the Talmud. And this is talking about when two people share a backyard. So one can, can, can the neighbor can, can, can sort of obligate their neighbor to split the costs of creating a fence to create privacy. But to what extent does the fence need to be there to create a sense of privacy between the two parties? So the Gemara says, well, it's a, a commentator on the Gemara, the fence can be thin because we are not concerned about hezek shmiya, meaning damage by hearing, since the average person is careful of what he says. So we're not, we're not going to try to make a sound barrier between these two neighbors. We're not going to say that we're trying to create a privacy so that we don't hear what the neighbor says. What we're trying to, to, to address is the the privacy from seeing, that they should have a certain sense of privacy for seeing. And why? Because the, lo the logic is that people know that they're comfortable, they're, they're more cautious with how they express themselves when they're outside than, how they, when, they're, than when they're inside. And that's a, that's a general understood idea. Um, and so this, the reason why I bring this is because the last thing I want to discuss in the, in, in the final few minutes that we have is about the idea of recording conversations. In today's day and age, right? What does it take to record a conversation? What does it take? It takes nothing. You don't need any devices if you have a phone, right? So what is the, the halachic approach to recording a conversation? So there are those that say that the Rabbeinu Gershom's decree particularly relates to writings, to reading writings, to reading writings from one person to the other. But when it comes to recordings, it, doesn't, it does not apply to recordings. Maybe the logic is that people are more careful with how, what they say than with what they write. 
Some people could say opposite logic. You could say people are more careful with what they write than with what they say. Because when you put something in writing, you're putting it in writing. But when you're conversing, you're conversing. But uh, there's, there's different arguments. Like, you know, there are people that I know, I think we all know people that are like a lot more comfortable expressing themselves like on group chats or on social media behind a computer than they are face to face. It's like easier for them to, to throw shade on something or to, to, to do it behind the device than face to face to express it. So there's, 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 you know, there's different perspectives on it. What's the issue with, with Lashon HaRa? Let's remind ourselves with what's the problem with Lashon HaRa 2C. Straight from the Torah, Leviticus, Vayikra, otherwise known. You shall not go around as a gossip monger amidst your people. You shall not stand by the shedding of your fellow's blood. I am the Lord. And there's the famous commentary on this verse, right? We're saying in one verse, we're, we're, we're saying two things. Don't go around, around being a gossip monger and don't stand by when you see your fellow's blood being spilled. What's the message here? That speaking gossip, that speaking Lashon HaRa is being equated to standing by and seeing your fellow's blood being spilled and not doing anything about it. That's how careful we have to be with gossip. Who is a gossiper? 2D, Maimonides. One who collects information and then goes from person to person saying, this is what so-and-so said. This is what I heard about so-and-so. Even if the statements are true, they bring about destruction of the worlds. Now, a few points on this is there is a rabbi named Rabbi Yaakov Chagizi, and he says that saying something inappropriate or wrong about yourself is also Lashonara. A lot of these people ask that question, can I say Lashonara by myself? And he says clearly, no. Then we have another discussion about what about when you're in a place and this is, this is all connected to recording conversation, which we'll get to in a second. Um, Jake, Jake and Ezra can relate to the following, the following scenario. After services in the morning, we're, we're, we're yep. praying. And after services, people are having a conversation in the synagogue, right? Everyone's quiet and people are having a conversation. Is it immoral if I'm listening into that conversation? Or is it not immoral if I'm listening into that conversation? Do we say that they're quite aware that it's quiet? And if, if one guy chooses to talk to his friend or her friend, then like they understand that there's people that are still wrapping up their talent, they're chilling, they're doing their thing. Or do we say just because they're talking and you're in that area, it doesn't mean it gives you a right to, to, to listen into what they're saying. This happens every single morning. So Rabbi Yehuda, it's not, not, to, not to confuse with Rabbi Yehuda, the great um, sage from the Mishnah sage, Rabbi Yehuda Chassid says that if one can, one should avoid being in that kind of place where it's like quiet, but people are talking, if you can. And he one time told a student of his that came to synagogue late Okay, this guy came late to synagogue. He says, better go pray in your house than in a synagogue than, than pray late in the synagogue 
where people are just schmoozing and having all sorts of conversations because you may hear some information being exchanged and that may lead to Lashon HaRa. That's how careful Rabbi Yehuda the Chassid was and he told his, 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 his um, disciple. Now, um, we, we, uh, the, the bottom line as far as recording, it's, it's, again, it's very hard to give a final law one way or the other of if you're allowed to record conversations or not. Um, one thing is clear. There's no opinion that says that you could record conversations just to have for backup in case you ever need to be able to, like there are people that would say, every time I go to a business meeting, every time I go to whatever, I'm just going to record the conversation. I'm, again, I'm not addressing legalities. I don't know legalities in the United States, etc. I'm just saying from a Jewish law perspective, you cannot just record conversations just to have it in case one day something will come up and you want to be able to have that. That's not allowed. Um, if you have a sincere concern you're meeting with someone and you have re let's say it's an issue some kind of situation and you have reason to be concerned that something may come back against you from a jewish law perspective you would be allowed to record that conversation ideally you ideally you get their permission but if, if, if you don't have their permission, if you have, again, if you have a concretic concern, reason to believe that there's an issue, you could record the conversation. Now, generally speaking, you cannot record the conversation according to Jewish law when you go to speak with someone. You could take notes, right? No one can stop you from taking notes when you go to have a meeting with someone, but you cannot record a conversation just because you want to have it to be safe. Even if you'll say, that I'm just going to keep it with me. I'm not going to release it to anybody. So what's the, what's the problem from a Jewish law perspective? I'm just going to hold on to it. The answer is once it is in existence in this world, in a physical way, you cannot take full control. You don't know that from now till the day you die, it will never somehow get, no one will hack into your computer. Nobody will hack into your Google Drive. You cannot take responsibility for that. And the rabbis that discuss this say that the, the, what, what they say is the reason why you could take notes but you can't record is because they say their argument in that case is that people, if people know that they're being recorded, they speak differently. That's just the reality. On that note, I must say that I've been recording every class that we have of Torah and Chow, and I have it here, and, um, and I, I, I upload the, the class to Spotify, and this itself... This itself is a question of, do I have to tell you guys, did I have to reveal that to you, you know, when I started recording these classes and uploading them to my account, did I have to do that or not? The argument could be made. On the one hand, you could say, well, this is a public class. I'm not having a one-on-one -on -one meeting here with someone. It's a public class that I'm giving. The, 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 the questions, yeah, it's a podcast. It's basically a podcast. The questions that people are asking me are not personal questions. It's related to the content of the class. On the other hand, maybe if you guys knew that you were being recorded, you would maybe even think about how you would say it. So I don't know what the, what the law is, but I decided as I'm 
I was thinking about this class. I may as well use this opportunity to communicate. Now, the question is if I have to do it every single class, because there may be someone who came to next week's class that wasn't at this week's class. Do I have to make a disclaimer every single week that I'm recording the classes? I'm not sure. We thought it at the start of it. You got to go, all right, that's the Rabbi Levy podcast. <laughs> who says I don't do that anyway? Pun. You ever listen to my? You ever listen to my story? To my to my recordings? Dan Larkin. That's already personal. That could be lashon hara if I tell you because if it's not a lot, it could end up being lashon hara. So I don't want to. I want to be careful. Yes, Moshe. Sally, that's like rip of a rabbi. What's an example? Let's say a rabbi that you know you're only in the one time. This is a very special rabbi. He's gonna be a top fifty people. And like you feel like this guy's about to say something that's like very powerful, and maybe if you look back into it like later in like a month, so like you're going through a bad time and you hear this conversation, like it will give you like a boost and like clever. Are you? Do you have to say? Do you have to ask? Do you have to ask? I record or do not like. Again, it, it, so 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 the reason why you're confused is because unlike eating milk and meat, or or doing a sin on Shabbat, which is very straightforward. These are the types of things that there are many different opinions. And like I said in the beginning of the class, I'm, you're not going to, I'm not going to, it's not going to be able to be one way or the other in a clear cut. What I could say about your question specifically is, first of all, number one, in 2023, unless you're living under a rock, any personality, okay? I mean, I know like, you know, let's just be open. There's, there's, there's all sorts of stories with, with, with Greek groups that have students that get involved in the process of while they're becoming new members in different, you know, groups. So some of these, some of these groups, they just don't allow phones in because they don't want to have to deal with an issue of something that was misrepresented or recorded and a little piece of a snippet came out. My point is that, and th these were not issues 10 years ago, 15 years ago. There was no Snapchat. There was no recordings. There was no, people didn't have videos and recordings on their phones today everyone has it my point is that today in 2023 unless you're living under a rock most people understand and okay that's an extreme case because that's like going into someone's house but for sure a public figure a rabbi a teacher a professor a performer we have here a comedian anyone who you know anyone who 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 is presenting anyone who is a person who is going you're talking you're giving a presentation knows that there's a big chance that they're going to be recorded if you want to be a tzaddik, you want to go the extra mile, you could ask permission from the rabbi before you're meeting with him. Is it okay if I record it? But the argument could definitely be made that in 2023, when a teacher is getting up and speaking, unless there's a sign that says no recordings allowed, you know, unless there's some kind of thing that says that, it, it's, it's common practice today that these kinds of things, right? You go to a concert, you go to any of these kinds of things. Again, unless they say beforehand, it's prohibited, it's against the law, it's against the halakha, but it's, it's common practice today that that's what people do. I want to just finish off this class with the last statement on the bottom of the page. And the merit of four things, the Jews were redeemed from Egypt. They did not change their names, they did not change their language, they did not disclose each other's secrets, and they did not break barriers of morality. So Hashem should give us all the strength these are hopefully you um, hopefully you left this class and I, I know it went a little bit longer than regular. Uh, I do appreciate everyone's involvement and uh, discussions. Like I said tonight, I, I'm able to I personally was able to go a little bit longer. So um, it, it I, it's it's great when people contribute to the conversation. 
I hope that you leave tonight with um, some perspectives on this topic. And ultimately, you'll have to find ways to apply these values in, in your interactions and in your you know, communications and, and, uh, and interactions with people as you go through life. But hopefully you're leaving here with some, some perspectives from the Torah and from Judaism that can help you make your decisions as you go through. And, um, you know, if you have specific scenarios that come up that are relevant to you in your life at a later point in time, whether you are a lawyer and, you know, you want to you want to know from a Jewish perspective when you have meetings or you're in business and you have consequential conversations, etc., it's it's probably good to uh, check in with with your local rabbi that you'll be in touch with at the time to see what you know what get down to the details and what the laws would say about those kinds of, of issues when you're facing them. Um, so maybe we will do environmentalism and where we draw the line from a Jewish perspective next week. And um, and uh, if anyone has other ideas, please please bring them on. Have a good night, everybody. A good rest of the week.